We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show with accomplished chess players, authors, personalities, and adult improvers where they discuss their lives, their careers, and share tips about how to improve at chess. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are joined by a friend of the pod, a return guest. He is one of the top players in the Netherlands, has been a regular member of the Dutch Olympiad team since 2006, winner of the 2015 Reykjavik Open, and a highly respected opening theoretician who's worked with uh, former FIDE world champion Veselin Tapilov and currently works with perennial top 10 player Grandmaster Anish Giri. He's also a chessable author, uh, one of the most popular chessable courses of all time. I'm one of the purchasers, the lifetime repertoires, Carol Khan, uh, among other courses. And uh, our guest, Erwin Lemay, has been sharing his thoughts about the World Championship on Twitter, and I have greatly enjoyed it. So I wanted to hear more of them. And luckily, he is willing to accommodate us and uh, reflect more on the World Championship and also talk about his own career. He'll be playing in uh, Tata Steel, the Challenger section, coming in January. Of course, that is the landmark tournament in his native, the Netherlands. So without further ado, let's welcome er- Grandmaster Erwin Lemay. Sorry, Erwin. Back to the show. <laughs> Hi Ben, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me again. Sure, sorry for the mispronunciation there. So, 
So Erwin, as we were saying before we we uh, hit record, I personally am not tired of talking about the world championship. I don't think you're tired of uh, opining on it. So apologies to any guests who are, but I'm I'm very eager to hear your perspective about the match generally. You had some prescient predictions on Twitter about what openings would, would occur, but l- let's dial back and sort of, since we didn't have you on the record uh, before the match, what were your expectations for the match going in, Erwin? Well, I think, first of all, I mean, uh, uh, since I had no stake in this match, I'm not, uh, as you know, I'm not working with Magnus or with uh, with uh, with Nepo. So I, I, I'm just looking at it like any other fan, I, I think. So I was just greatly looking forward to this match. Um, and I did think that Carlsen would be a big favorite. But uh, um, given the fact that he had, well, Considerable trouble uh, uh, winning those matches against uh, Caruana and Kayakin. I, I thought that could get again very close, very tense. Basically, what we saw in the first five, six games, uh, six games, I should say. Um, yeah, and after that, well, we'll get to talk about what unfolded after that. I, I guess, yeah. Yeah, we will for sure. And from an opening perspective, Erwin, again, you worked with Grandmaster Vasilin Topolov and were on his world championship team in 2010. Um, so that may have uh, impacted the accuracy of your predictions. W- what were you expecting um, stylistically from both players? And uh, were you surprised by what transpired? Especially, I think Nepo being so solid was not uh, tipped by everyone. Yeah, it's just, it's very interesting. Uh, I mean, the approach by both. But first of all, I should say that... Uh, 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 when I was working with Veselin for his match with Doppler, that was 2010, and the the changes that 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 Chess has undergone since that time, it's immense. So the, the preparation, uh, the engines especially, uh, they've improved so so strongly. Uh, preparation is much deeper than 2010. Uh, uh, so that is the first point uh, uh, to make. And then to the strategy of the both players, I think that Napo really tried to. Uh, close things down with Black in a very forceful manner. Um, you could see that in the uh, Catalan game, for instance, where he played B5, which is a, a very direct way of playing, trying to basically close the game down as fast as possible. The Petrov is basically the opening to close the game down uh, as fast as possible as well. Uh, while Magnus was a little, left a little, little bit more room for play, I, I would say. He was, of course... Uh, also playing solid systems. So Marshall is uh, very correct, opening, solid opening. But within the Marshall, he tried to slightly deviate, play slightly different, uh, 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 even you could say slightly offbeat ways of playing. Uh, his move rook b8, for example, with which he uh, countered the a4 uh, anti-Marshall, anti uh, was not that popular before the uh, match. I think it will gain enormously in popularity now. But uh, uh, before the match, after a4, the main move was either bishop b7, or, or B4, and, and Magnus deviated to Rook B8. So he, he slightly uh, tried to get his opponent into different uh, uh, in a different territory, leaving leaving room for play, let's say. Well, I think that, as I said, Nepo, he just tried to close the game, game down with black and tried to press, press with white uh, uh, in this anti-martial. Yeah, and I've seen, of course, given that we know the results of the match now, it's natural that people are going to be looking for ways to uh, suggest things Nepo could have done differently. And I have seen some people suggest that Nepo being known as such a dynamic and creative player, perhaps he shouldn't have played sort of in like a Karyak and style 
um, as as black. Do you, do you have an opinion on that? Is it just too easy to say that after the fact? It is right. It is. I mean, right now, uh, uh, everybody. Uh, it, it's very easy to comment now on uh, on on Nepo's strategy. But I think if you look at the first six games, uh, he was doing completely fine. Uh, uh, I mean, the Catalan, for instance, uh, is, which is an opening. Um, let's say stylistically, we wouldn't immediately place uh, a Nepo in the in the Catalan uh, section. Uh, he's a Grunfeld player by by nature. He's a Nidorf player against e, e, E4. But at the same time, he has been expanding his repertoire somewhat. I mean, in the candidates, we saw him playing French already. He played the Petrov in the, in the candidates as well. So he has expanded uh, uh, his uh, repertoire uh, quite a lot. Um, so so it, it's hard to say. I mean, in, in hindsight, yes, he lost game six. And, and, and then you can uh, make all these uh, assumptions. But... I think he was doing fine, actually, opening-wise. And I think he also understood the openings that he was playing. It's not like he is... Uh, I mean, he's a real top player. Uh, with, with, I mean, he's there for a reason. He can play various openings, various types of, uh, of positions. For instance, the game, uh, the Catalan, the second game, where uh, Nippo got surprised uh, with the move Knight E5. Yeah. I thought he handled that game extremely well. I mean, he really managed to uh, uh, find... In a very difficult, complicated position, he found a way of uh, of playing that uh, that game, and he got even a, the better position, even a, you could say arguably a winning position. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not convinced that had he gone for the Grunfeld or the Nidorf, that that would have uh, significantly uh, changed things. I'm sure that Magnus and his team were also prepared for for that. Obviously, they would have tried to hit him there uh, with some interesting ideas that they undoubtedly had been working on for months. So it's it's hard to say. Um, in hindsight, it is it, we can say that, for example, for Karyakin, uh, the same strategy worked better. Uh, I think Karyakin said something along those lines as well, that his positional style perhaps suited that strategy better. Uh, but I, I'm really not so sure. If you look at the six, first six games, um, Nepo looked fine. And uh, I, I think it was more a matter of losing that sixth game and, and the way he dealt with it, or at least the way it looks to everyone. How we, I mean, we were not there, but it looked to uh, everyone uh, uh, not being part of the teams, let's say not being close to the players, that something psychologically happened there uh, that just prevented him from, from coming even close to his normal level after that game six loss. Yeah, and... Of course, that's been a topic of much discussion. You know, how much time Nepo spent away from the board was uncharacteristic. I mean, people, again, had sort of touted the possibility going into the match that he would make some, uh, that he has a tendency to, to rush moves. And that seemed to, to bite him once or twice. Um, do, you, do you have any theories on, on what was going on in his head? I mean, once, once the epic game six didn't go his direction... Yeah, it's uh, that on the on the topic of his him moving fast. That's also something that brought him to the match. Of course, it's uh, yeah. he is someone, uh, uh, and I think Magnus even uh, has gone on record saying that that uh, um, even if you if you beat Napo, you still don't uh, get any pressure from the game because you feel like you're constantly under pressure. Right. So he he is constantly banging out this. Uh, move, and I, I well, I played myself against Napo, and and of course, I'm not in his uh, league at all. Uh, uh, but I've experienced the, I mean, he, the enormous speed with which he's playing. It, it, it puts enormous pressure. And even though uh, he may sometimes, uh, as a result, not play the best move, um, he's able to... Uh, that, that pressure that he is constantly applying, it's really hard to, uh, to deal with. Um, it, it has um, 
I mean, those those mistakes that he made, those blunders that he made, I'm not sure it was because of uh, moving. I thought actually that in this match he was playing relatively uh, calm. Uh, I, I don't. I, we haven't seen this kind of uh, games where he had more than two hours on the clock, etc., which is very usual for him. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it's 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 very hard to say. What brought him into the match is uh, uh, quick play, putting pressure on the opponent. Um, but he, it's it's hard to say just how that backfired uh, uh, in the match because it's also one of his main strengths. Yeah, and the blunders were of slightly different characteristic. I mean, I feel like, uh, I mean, there's really three major blunders in the games that came after game six. There was the one where he allowed his bishop to be trapped, uh, the one with queen a3 check, which was, you know, losing a pawn to a double attack, and then the the one in the final game allowing the queen to come into g4. And to me, the um, the the two first blunders were of a similar character. They they looked uh, like like they could have been somewhat impulsive moves where he just you know didn't do his due diligence or maybe just his head wasn't in the right place and he couldn't spot them. But then the the last blunder to me um, was of a different character. He thought for nine minutes on that move, and it's the kind of move where um, danger signs are flashing going into it. You know, so um, it, he was clearly concretely calculating and just just miss something i mean obviously this is an audio only podcast so we can only go into too much detail but but do you have any theories on what happened there on the last blunder in particular erwin uh, i've seen the interview with him where he says he simply missed the move queen takes g4, queen g4 yeah. yeah i mean he he only considered black taking the pawn f2 and once yeah for the listeners it's maybe hard to envision but uh um essentially he just missed black taking a pawn with 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 check uh, uh yeah it's the definition of a blunder. It's yeah. sometimes it's just hard to explain, but I, I think in this case it's just uh, yeah, the match was essentially over, and and this was just yeah. They could also have drawn two more games. It would have also been. I mean, for me, after game uh, uh, after the second loss, uh, the, the game the match was was over for for me. And yeah. um, what I also found um, somewhat disappointing, I think, if you speak about the blunder, Queen A3 check, where he uh, yeah. lost the A7 pawn, he could still have defended very uh, uh, well. I mean, after Queen A3 uh, check, Black could have played Queen D6. And after taking the pawn on A7, Black could go on G5. And once again, I will not go into too much de- detail, but that is still a, a pretty difficult position to crack for uh, uh, for, for White. And um, yeah, in the game he just went down very fast. So it 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 shows that he was just not in the right frame of mind, uh, uh, I believe, after that loss in in game six. And I think that is the main uh, issue. I think for him this uh, match, at least from the outside, it looked like he was just not prepared uh, 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 for yeah being down in 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 the, in the match. Or so it seemed, at least. Yeah, I mean it's the sort of thing you can visualize all you want, but in- until it happens, it's um, it's it's a different ball game. And uh, yeah, I mean as as I've mentioned before on the podcast, it was, I mean Magnus in interviews before the the match said he was curious to see how Nepo would react if uh, if he fell behind. But I don't want to gloss over Magnus's accomplishment. I feel like it's um it's you know the Nepo sort of takes the headlines just because of the way the match. Um, Played out, but Erwin, what struck you about Magnus's play in in this match? Yeah, of course, Magnus. Uh, he he pushed him there, obviously. So there's a yeah. there's a clear reason why somebody cracks. It's uh, 
uh, Magnus did what he does very well uh, with with Black. He played the marshal. Uh, well, in, in this case, anti-marshal, obviously, because marshal, the real marshal is no longer really played these days. Top players have sort of given up on uh, on, on taking the pawn. Uh, so with black, he he just tried to be solid. As I said, slowly e- equalize. And with white, he was trying to put pressure. And uh, um, he he was not afraid to drag the games out. He was also not afraid to leave some play in the position, which is also a sign of strength, uh, uh, obviously. And to be honest, I was never uh, uh, fearing that he would lose uh, uh, with the black pieces. Uh, those, mar- those marshals. There, I, I know there was this moment where uh, uh, Napo could have played C4 uh, in, 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 in one of those anti-martial games uh, and he would have gotten a clear advantage. But even there, it's still a long way uh, before it's actually uh, uh, winning. And, and, and yeah, Magnus is very good in those positions. He plays them very well and it's simply very hard to beat. Um, even if you get the advantage, it's, it's going to be very hard. And, and yeah, like I said, with White, he was just trying here and there. In the Petrov, he was not so successful. Uh, uh, but then again, uh, uh, this idea, of course, this this is Catalan type of uh, setup with with B3 and C4. This worked out perfectly, and uh, um, yeah, well, it's just uh, one of those uh, uh, one of those things. It's in this match, I had the feeling that uh, uh, openings were very uh, Im- important to get the surprise and get an idea, and, and Magnus finally managed. In that game and uh, and got the win going. Even though, of course, there were many many adventures in that in that game six. Yeah, and for any uh, world world chess championship opening junkies, uh, Sagar <laughs> Shah of Chess Base India has now done interviews with uh, Peter Hein Nielsen and uh, Vladimir Potkin, the the head trainers of uh, both oh, wow. players. This and they they yeah. yeah they go through every game. It's obviously on, on video as well. They're ninety minutes each, and definitely recommend. Uh, Listeners, check them out. And Peter Hein Nielsen said the same thing as you were when regarding the the marshal. Just that basically, elite players they kind of knew that it wouldn't be a mainline marshal once they decided that that Magnus uh, would go down that route. Um, now, Erwin, you know, in our in our prior interview, we talked about uh, your your work with computers. You mentioned you basically have like a hardcore engine running all the time in your um, in your dwelling. Uh, as well as sometimes using cloud engines. But I'm curious, uh, a match like this, w- what's your approach to watching it? Do you have an engine running? Do you do you tend to watch broadcasts or do you just like to uh, feel it on your own? Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm a fan like anyone else. So first of all, I, th- I had all the broadcasts open uh, uh, and some were, in some I muted the sound. Ah. So there was, one was really open and then I would switch around between... That's a uh, grandmaster move there, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I had like four or five uh, broadcasts that I could choose uh, uh, from. I really liked Fabiano's insights. Yeah, he was great. I really enjoyed those. I mean, he okay, there's someone who, who has experienced it all, of course. And, and I think you could really notice that in his, in his, uh, in his comments. Uh, and Anish and Polgar, I, I watched a lot, obviously. Uh, uh, also great. I, I like they they had some clashes here and there. Some uh, it was nice to nice to follow. Um, yeah, and then well, I have like like you said, I have my engines running. I'm just curious of what's happening. Uh, uh, some opening surprise. I want to be immediately. I want to know what they're up to. Of course, it's very hard to reach that same kind of depth that these. I mean, the, the teams have been working. So you never really uh, uh, get to reach the same uh, level of depth very quickly. But these days, with a good engine, you can really very quickly uh, uh, go through uh, critical uh, lines. So I, I just try to catch up as much as I can on what they were working on, and, and uh, in this, in that way, try to also guess what the next opening would be. It's yeah, just like any other uh, uh, a fan uh, actually. I, at least uh, 
I think many fans followed it in that way, I, I, I guess. Yeah, I certainly did. I mean, I would have Sess open the sort of uh, Norwegian engine, the super stockfish that you can view online. Now, were you running your own engine on top of that sort of thing? Or definitely. Was? Yeah, definitely. No, I was definitely and moving moving the pieces around. You know, Sess, of course, you just look at the... the uh, you look at the output and you cannot really move around. And, but uh, I, of course, try to analyze a bit, try to see. Uh, in that way, you can go much deeper, of course. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, I definitely had a lot of fun doing it. I canceled all other things. I was just following the match uh, religiously. Uh, and that's all I, uh, all, I, all I did. Yeah, and yeah, like, like any other, um, just, um, yeah, enjoying match. It, for me, it was just... Uh, yeah, maybe we'll get to it, but it was really disappointing how it how it ended. I was genuine, genuinely uh, gutted a little bit by by how that all uh, yeah. ended because it was such a great start. Uh, of course, people generally don't like draws, but I think uh, the first five games they were most of them were very hard fought, and I, for me, uh, very interesting opening discussions. I that alone already makes it very interesting for me to see which directions the teams have chosen. It shows a lot about how they how they uh, think about the about the opponent and about themselves, uh, and yeah, all these kind of things. Very interesting to just uh, follow it closely. Yeah, and you know, I want to talk about other things besides the match too, but I do want to follow up on two more things relating to your watching the specific games. Um, number one with uh, with game two. Now I'm a much weaker player than you, so that could have sort of excuse me could have like colored my output, but I was you know being. Uh, air quote slave to the engine and watching Magnus be like minus two out of the opening after briefly having an advantage. What was your perspective at that time? Because like, again, not being strong enough, obviously I see that Magnus can create some problems, but in hindsight, I feel like I was giving Black too much credit just based on the engine. Where, What did you think was the most likely result on like, say, move 20 of, uh, of uh, game two? Yeah, you mean this uh, moment where uh, um, Magnus Saxon Nippo, Nippo found this, yeah, Nippo found yeah. Knight C5, Knight B3. I think Knight C5 is what Carlson mentioned. He he had yeah, missed. he missed that. Yeah. yeah, it's very hard to say. Uh, computers, of course, are ruthless. Um, yeah, uh, uh, but um, it's it's something I noted uh, uh, before that nowadays what happens on the board. And what the engine is showing as the truth, it, it gets more and more apart as engines get, get stronger. I mean, nowadays, uh, um, I see a completely normal position. I look at the engine, it shows minus five. I sometimes don't even know why. Right. You know? And, and in the old days, uh, in, in, in such positions, engine would show like minus one or, or minus two. And it, it, it would feel a bit better, you know, because as, as, uh, nowadays every move we make, a computer shouts blunder, you know, everybody thinks that's, uh, but it's all, it's just because the engines did become stronger and stronger and stronger. And yeah, what happens on the boards, like like I said, it very often has very little to do with what is actually, uh, what, 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 what the engine is saying. Uh, and I think this game is a good example because, I mean, you have this, you have this knight on, on D6, and it's just very hard to to assess it properly as a human and to also know exactly what are you aiming for. I mean, I remember during that game, uh, one of the things that the engine was shouting all the time was that Black should take on A4 with, with the B5 pawn. Yeah. Which basically essentially means that you're doubling both your A pawns and, your, and you yeah. just leave every pawn. Uh, I mean, th- those kind of decisions are very hard to make for a human. But of course, an engine calculates it, sees some concrete uh, reason why uh, why it's good. And it says that black is uh, black is winning uh, there. I th- I think that um, objectively in a human game, uh, black was doing fine there, but was doing perhaps very well. 
but I never had the idea that it was, uh, you know, already in the realm of, of clearly winning positions uh, uh, or something. I did think that later on there was some chance. Uh, when it, but once again, I'm going a bit into detail now, but Black would have gone Queen G7, attacking yeah, G5. I thought that was actually a pretty human thing to see. I mean, that you attack E5 and then break the break break the position open with G6, G5. I thought that was that was actually a chance uh, uh, that that was missed. Um, and after that, uh, actually towards the end, I was even thinking that Magnus might might be trying, might uh, might yeah. uh, uh, be able to try it. But that knight on d6 and already having a pawn for the exchange, and then, but okay, he allowed uh, this exchange on d6 to happen, and then it all fizzled out. But um, yeah, that that, ga- that game is a perfect illustration of what differs, uh, what differentiates uh, ancients from from humans. Uh, uh, I, I, I believe. Yeah, definitely a lesson learned for me. Um, and uh, and lastly, on the match, I just wanted to hear your sort of broad thoughts on on Game Six, since obviously it kind of decided the match, and also, I mean, just so historical in so many ways. Yeah, it's just vintage uh, Carlson, right? I mean, it's, he, he's always ready to to sit out this kind of game uh, uh, to just grind and grind and grind. I mean, he was arguably lost in that game at some point as well. Yeah, uh, but he deals with this kind of trends. Uh, I mean, sh- evaluations going up. He, he he deals with them very well, and then he gets this kind of end game uh, where he just excels. He's I mean, he's probably well, not even probably. I, I think it's safe to say he's the best end game player to have ever walked uh, the planet. Yeah, and 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 he you see him slowly torturing his opponent. Uh, it's it's it was very impressive to see, and actually. Nepo did fine, yeah, for for a long time. He, he defended quite well, made some minor mistakes, perhaps practically speaking, allowing uh, Magnus to take on a three, for instance, was probably not not very uh, not very practical. Made made his made his task a lot harder. Uh, but even even after that, objectively speaking, he was still uh, well within within the game. But Magnus just kept pressing and pressing, and yeah, okay, the the whole. Eight hours, uh, 135, mo- 136 move. What was it? I mean, yeah. it, it's really an epic, uh, epic game. It's, it's fantastic. I followed all the way, obviously, and uh, yeah, really impressive how he managed to to pull that off. And, and yeah. I can imagine it was it was it, it's clearly a breaking point, of course. Uh, nevertheless, I was hoping that Napo would have somehow sorted this kind of thing out before the match, uh, because everybody was was already saying before the match that this is something he has to work on, that, that uh, if he loses one game, uh, that he sometimes tends to, you know, it just tends to all, uh, all, all go away from him. And I was really hoping that he would, uh, he would manage to, to, um, yeah, to, to deal with that so that, so that we could yeah, see the match continue in the same way, because at that point in time, okay, he had lost one game, but it still looked uh, very close to the match. Uh, it didn't seem to me that, the match uh, would already be decided at that point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if anything, going into game six, it seemed like Nepo had a couple clearer shots than than Magnus. And yeah, um, definitely could could have gone, could have ended many different ways. But Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, also, if you speak opening-wise, uh, Magnus got this surprise in, in game two, 90, 95. But it was actually Nepo who quickly took over. Uh, mm-hmm. So he, yeah, he really showed a lot of... Uh, he showed good play, confident play, actually, in the beginning. Um, yeah, of course, I cannot speak to uh, how tense a World Championship is. I mean, I've been 
part of a team, uh, but, but I haven't played, obviously. Right. Uh, uh, so it, it must be immense, the, the, uh, the, the pressure. Uh, I've seen Topolov up close dealing with it very well, I should say. Uh, but everybody deals with that differently, and um, yeah, perhaps it just it just became too much. That's that's something I can easily imagine, but 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 of course, not something I can relate to. Yeah, likewise. So did did Topolov in in your interactions? Did he have a conscious game plan for how to handle the pressure, or do you think he was just kind of wired that way? Yeah, I think that's just how he's wired. Yeah, it's just some people are just wired. Yeah, they just, it's not fair how some people are. <laughs> some people deal with such things. Uh, uh, just uh, no, I mean, Veselin was always ready to fight. Uh, uh, always, there was just uh, I don't know if you, yeah, if you recall that match with Anand in the games, etc. I mean, they were so hard fought. It's just he was ready to. I mean, to go till the end, every single game, and that's also how he played his tournaments and and everything. There was. Uh, yeah, it was quite quite inspirational, I'd say, uh, to be part of, uh, of 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 that because he, yeah, it was really, uh, I think, quite an example also for for Magnus growing up. Uh, I mean, you, let's say two thousand eight, two thousand nine, Toplov was still uh, a number one player, the the one uh, everybody looked up to, let's say, and Magnus, I think, took a lot from that uh, fighting spirit that Toplov also showed in those uh, uh, days. Yeah, I mean, he took it from somewhere. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he has it. For sure. No, obviously, it's something that he has in him. Obviously, but but definitely, uh, uh, I think these two, uh, Magnus and and Vesley, they are very similar in the way they um, they approach the the games. Always ready to to fight till the end. And what about your your boss slash friend Anish Giri? I mean, obviously, he's hasn't been in the world championship, but of course, uh, no stranger to the to the candidates. Um, I, again, I've, if if you you may or may not be able to address this uh, with full disclosure, but is he doing stuff to work on sort of the mental game and, uh, you know, um, responding to setbacks and stuff like that? Yeah. And I actually think he deals with them very well. I mean, I've rarely seen him after, after a loss that he's completely, uh, uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's very good at, uh, you know, uh, looking at, looking at the game objectively, uh, drawing the conclusions from it, and moving on in a in a in a healthy way, uh, and uh, yeah, that's just a huge quality that I think a top player must have in order to to be successful. Otherwise, it's, yeah, it's just not gonna. I mean, you're go, you're gonna have setbacks, uh, plenty of them usually, and uh, you just have to be ready for. Uh, for the, I mean, I remember speaking to him after the candidates. I mean, you could think, of course, that that, that for many people it would have been a heartbreaking experience the uh, the way it ended there. Uh, him losing to uh, to Bishop in the last, last round and and also the round before, uh, that was that was tough, of course. But he he handled it very well. Uh, immediately started talking about future plans and, and they wanted to get back already. Uh, was inspired to uh, to work, etc. So so yeah, like I said, everybody deals with these things differently. But it's important, I think, to uh, if you if you are not possible to if it's not possible for you to deal with them properly that you have to work on on that because otherwise it's just not the way it now happens in the match um yeah it may sound very rough but but i i think it just cannot happen that way you have to deal with that before the match it, it, it somehow um yeah something had to be done uh, on the on that front i think and and yeah it didn't uh, it didn't happen yeah i mean and 
um, there was a dichotomy between Nepo, again, rightfully has been praised so much for his, his comportment during the press conferences. A lot of people pointed out, you know, it's in the contract for him to do the press conferences, which of course is true. But the point is he, 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 he could be there and he could still, you know, he could, he could have been rude. He could have shut down, but he was, I felt like he was very open and took responsibility. But but what what the dichotomy was was between his sort of public comportment and what one might think was going on in his head based on based on how the play progressed in the match. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll... I, I thought that was very impressive. Yeah, what you ju- exactly what you just said. I mean, uh, to blunder in the match and to having to sit in front of the journalist again and this NRK yeah. uh, guy asking <laughs> him about his performance. You know, you just wanna. You just. I mean. Big respect for the way he handled that. That was really, uh, really, really impressive. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But I, but I think it's different from, let's say, sitting behind the board and being ready to to fight. It, it's slightly, but definitely, it deserves a lot of respect the way he handled uh, those situations. Because I also remember different press conferences, uh, and I I liked that I saw someone writing uh, that it uh, that. Uh, back in the day, it, it would have been better not to ask those questions to someone like Coach Noy or right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> probably the journalist would not have survived. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't ask uh, Coach Noy why a move was described as absurd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, well, we've got some other topics to get to, Erwin, but first uh, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. What is new from Chessable, you ask? Well, friend of the pod, FM Camille Plicta, just dropped Lifetime Repertoire's Accelerated Dragon. I know a lot of Accelerated Dragon enthusiasts have been waiting for that, and I've heard rave reviews. I am Christoph Zalecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, has a Keep It Simple Black repertoire coming soon. And of course, whether it be an opening course, a tactics course, um, or an in-game course on Chessable, you can utilize their proprietary space repetition technology to make sure you learn the lessons that are being imparted. So be sure to go to chessable.com and have a look at what's new. Good news, listeners. According to aimchess.com, I'm now only behind on the clock 75% of the time in my Blitz games. That's actually huge progress for me. I'm going to keep working to bring it up, and I recommend you use aimchess.com to address whatever weaknesses you may have in your game, whether it be playing with the white or black pieces, a particular opening, or a particular phase of the game. They give tailored lessons for whatever their algorithm detects, and of course, their algorithm scrapes the games from the major chess players sites themselves in order to tell you what you need. If you decide to subscribe to aimchess.com after checking it out, be sure to use the pr- promo code PERPETUAL30. Details are in the show notes. Check out aimchess.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. So, Erwin, you've got Tata Steel coming up, and I've got a burning question for you that I've been meaning to ask many guests. You know, Tata Steel, one, again, one of the landmark classical chess tournaments on, on the calendar every year. And as I've mentioned before, I love the sort of uh, the iconic background of the North Sea, and I've never been there. And I've often wondered, is that a poster or is that actually a window overlooking the sea? And uh, those who have watched, <laughs> watched, uh, watched Tata Steel will know what I'm referring to. 
No, that is actually a poster. Yeah, that is That's a okay. giant. Uh, um, yeah, how do you call that? Um, yeah, it's just a giant poster that they. Uh, it's a it's a sports hall eh, where we play in, and uh, before the before the uh, tournament starts, they spend a few days preparing the entire venue. So they they hang this poster along the all the walls. Actually, are covered with. Uh, with this uh, typical Tata Steel uh, tournament, uh, um, yeah, poster—is that the word? Or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, there might be another word for it, but it, yeah. it, it gets across the idea. Yeah, that was my working assumption because the view is just too perfect. But but I, I had to ask just to be sure. Um, so so you've got this tournament coming up in the challengers section with uh, Lucas Van Forest and uh, s- some top young players, Taidan Van Nguyen. Um, Rinat Jumabayev, who's extremely strong young player, uh, Ganguly. Um, so have you been finding time to prep and, and how are you feeling? Yeah, I, well, since the match uh, finished uh, earlier than expected, yes. <laughs> I'm now, uh, now going to prepare for the event. Now, I was already, I was already uh, thinking a bit about, because uh, I haven't played in a long time, actually. So uh, I, I've definitely given some good thought on this, on this tournament. It's, by the way, but people know that I think it's by far my favorite. It's like a home event for me. I've been playing there since 2005. And uh, yeah, it's every year it's fantastic to come there. The atmosphere, I mean, I, well, you've never been, but but uh, to me it's very rare that you see hundreds of people's, people visiting uh, the, uh, the tournament hall. Uh, obviously, this year with COVID, it's going to be a little bit more difficult probably it's going to be uh, a little bit more, a little bit smaller, and perhaps there will be no um, no visitors this year, which would be a pity. Uh, I don't know that for a fact, by the way, but I, right. I, I I'm assuming that something will uh, will change compared to the normal years. Last year was also different, of course. Uh, but nevertheless, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward uh, to it tremendously. And the, yeah, the 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 challengers group it's traditionally uh, a group where a lot of talents. Get the chance to uh, first of all gain experience, but also get the chance, of course, to qualify to the uh, to the Masters group. I mean, Magnus Carlsen played in the Challengers. Uh, then it was called the B group, but but uh, he started, of course, famously in the C group, B group, A group, etc. And many other players who are now playing in the A group they started in the in the earlier group. So I I've, I've played many strong uh, Grandmasters over the over the years there, uh, which uh, which are now playing in the in the A group. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. I'm, uh, I cannot wait, actually. Yeah, and uh, the aforementioned Anishkiri, of course, will will be in the Masters section along with uh, Carlson, Caruana, uh, Mamajarov, Rapport, Duda, Karyak, and Vidit, Dubov, Asapenko, Shanklin, uh, Jordan, Jordan Van Forest, Grandilius, and Pragananda. So, um, just just an amazing lineup. And anyone who's been following the chess gossip might be looking forward to a. Um, a Dubov against Karyak match <laughs> in, in particular. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's also a topic. Should we discuss that one or do we leave that for, for others? Uh, yeah, it's up to you. Um, I, I guess while you decide if you want to say anything, I'll just quickly uh, explain for anyone who didn't catch it. Basically, it's been recently, uh, they did a Chess24 release, an awesome video describing who was on uh, Magnus's team, sort of doing a big reveal. And it wasn't like a uh, super surprising uh, friend of the pod, Jan Gustafsson, um, was there again, as well as uh, Laurent Fresnay. Of course, Peter Hein Nielsen heads the team. Um, and then the the two new additions, although they'd been, Dubov in particular had been speculated about, were Daniil Dubov and your, your Dutch uh, compatriot, uh, young superstar Jordan van Forest. Um, and 
Karyakin and a couple other Russian players basically sort of suggested it was uh, uh, unpatriotic for him to be uh, working on the team of this Norwegian player when a Russian was in the championship. Uh, I personally won't editorialize about it. <laughs> You're welcome to address it or not. Or when. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a dangerous topic. I, I would say that I think this, this kind of things, they, they differ from country to country. I think yeah. in some countries, these things are taken much more um, harshly than in others. Um, and I think particularly in Russia, they feel very strongly about uh, bringing the crown, uh, the, the title back home and this, this kind of uh, thing. So for them, it's probably hard to see a uh, fellow uh, Russian working for, uh, for, for Magnus. On the other hand, as far as I understood, they've been working for, well, I know that they've been working for a long time already. They started working again already before the candidates, if, if I read the article correctly. So I don't think anything really bad happened here, but, but yeah, as I said, it's, it's per country. I mean, everybody looks at these things differently. So I, I'm not really sure uh, how to, uh, yeah. me, me personally, I don't really see the, the very big deal, but, but uh, that could be just, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll catch uh, from my Dutch perspective. I don't yeah, know. I'll, I'll admit it. I don't think it's, I don't see it as a big deal either. Okay. Um, okay. But, <laughs> but hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully that story kind of blows over and doesn't like escalate that. I wouldn't. Yeah. Wouldn't that really... would be a pity, obviously. I mean, that's completely unnecessary. And uh, I, I, of course, there are some emotions now. The match just finished. Uh, I'm just hoping that in, in some, uh, some time, uh, you know, these things will boil down. Yeah, and and Erwin, I do have to ask you one other hard-hitting question. Another Dutch compatriot, uh, legendary GM Jan Timmen, when I interviewed him on the show, mentioned that um, the reason Ferrujo isn't in the tournament is because he's been told that that they couldn't come to terms. Um, so again, I don't know if you can address this, but have have you heard anything about this? Like they couldn't come to financial terms, to be clear. Okay, honestly, uh, no idea. Honestly, no. I uh, uh, I'm playing there more or less every year, but I'm I'm not part of negotiations with uh, with. Okay. But obviously, uh, it would have been great uh, to have. I mean, I'm I'm hoping he'll be back in the in in the future. I mean, they had this unfortunate thing last year, but I I, I don't think that that should. Uh, uh, I, I hope at least it doesn't play any role. For I mean, I'm I'm sure that everybody would like to see him in uh, Vikingsay, and I'm sure he would also like to win Vikingsay. Uh, so um, yeah. Just hope okay. that that, uh, but I I don't know how, why or how that uh, how those negotiations happened. Yeah, uh, really, uh, no, no. Yeah, and it's still an amazing lineup. I mean, um, they they always do a good job of uh, you know, you have your your old stalwarts, but also there's always some some newer players. I'm I'm excited to see, especially yeah, the uh, mix. The mix is great. I completely. I mean, normally, uh, let's say Norway Chess is a fantastic event, but you have the top players there. You usually yeah. and a Norwegian. Uh, player i don't mean magnus in that right. case. Uh, uh while in vikings a it's of course much more mixed and i kind yeah. of like that you, you it's it's a tournament where up and coming 2700 players can really uh find their breakthrough uh they get to play magnus they get to play top players and if they do well uh, uh yeah they can really establish them themselves so in that sense i think it's uh it's a great event for yeah, and anyone basically, top event players and and guys who are just beneath that and and aspiring to to come up. Yeah, and of course, uh, Van Forest managed to win it last year, kind of being in that situation. Just yeah, it just was amazing. It yeah. was uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, since since eighty five, we had been waiting for uh, for a Dutch uh, winner. Uh, I mean, Timon won it in nineteen eighty five last uh, last time. Anish, of course, was close many times, including actually last year. 
Yeah. <laughs> Close and I, was there with, I was there with Anish, so I, I couldn't actually be that happy uh, uh, initially. But of course, as time uh, uh, goes, I mean, I can still be very happy for Jordan, obviously, the, that he uh, that he won there. I mean, that's, that was a fantastic thing uh, for, for Dutch chess. I mean, the, the media was all over this uh, tournament in the Netherlands. So that in that sense, it, it really brought, uh, yeah, it brought the tournament in, in the limelight in a very positive way. And for Jordan, it's great that he, he made his breakthrough now. So Because we had, of course, Anish in the Netherlands. Uh, but after Anish, it, it, it was a very big gap towards uh, the rest of the of the yeah of the Dutch players. So now we have a clear uh, yeah we have a new new guy over twenty seven hundred or at least uh, he's established himself now around twenty seven hundred. I think he's just over now again. Yeah, he is just over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, so that's very nice. He gets to play by Kazay now again. So so he he works with Magnus. Yeah. So I think that should should all be very uh, should inspire him to uh, perhaps make some. More so, I mean, if you manage to win, like I can say, then definitely you have. I mean, you have. You can aspire to to go even higher than twenty seven hundred. I think, for sure. And for for you, or when you said you you know you haven't been as active. So as you ramp up, I'm sure you've got to brush up on your openings. Do you do any other sort of training uh, in a moment like this? Yeah, well, I'm trying now to play some blitz and stuff like that because yeah, I'll have to play soon. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to. Uh, <laughs> Have to get back in shape a little bit, so I'm I'm doing that uh, a, a lot. Um, of course, I'm in touch still with Anish all the time, so that that also continues. I do uh, I'm, I'm gonna do uh, two courses actually for Chessable. I have in the making one with Crystal Selecti that's gonna be on the triangle uh, uh, Slav and one on the Slav itself. Uh, it should come out somewhere in the next uh, year, uh, so that's 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 very exciting. And I'm sort of constantly working on that as well in between the other things. So that's just uh, like a nice project also to 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 constantly work on. Uh, so I, I keep busy in that in that way. Excellent. And do you do do you do like tactical training at at this stage of your career? Absolutely. No, I think that's something that everybody keeps doing all the time. Uh, I don't think that ever stops. And especially now when I haven't I haven't been that active, I feel like. Uh, uh, I, it's something I definitely have to do, and I'm doing it uh, uh, as well. Uh, and initially, I was so slow and bad, missing things. And, <laughs> and, but then, in time, you know, you 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 see that uh, you get a little bit sharper, and you start to see things, and uh, that that's a, that's a good feeling. So I'm hoping that, uh, well, that I I'm I'm back in time for uh, for what I can say. Yeah, and I know that you're an avid bibliophile and chess bibliophile. Um, for for when you're working on your tactics, what do you tend to use or when? Actually, for this nowadays, I switch to the digital uh, world. Oh, okay. I'm sorry you for all the shame. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. Cool. <laughs> but I have recently, uh, I have recently um, purchased uh, the book of Frank Erwig. Do you know Frank Erwig? Uh, I don't think so. He's a Dutch uh, Fidel master friend of mine. Uh, he's my uh, my agent. He he may, he published a book. Uh, full with combinations based on theme, and it, it's very nice. It's for the stronger club players, uh, so that means it's kind of perfect for me as well to just leave through and just try to quickly uh, solve. And very often I'm still going wrong, so he, uh, he made a very nice selection. He's a trainer as well, so he, he really selected those things over years, and uh, quite like that uh, that one. On the topic of books, uh, Sattler's last book is great as well. It's a yeah. bit, little bit off topic, but. Uh, uh, I really enjoy well everything he writes. I enjoy generally, but uh, uh, recently he's been, of course, ever since Game Changer. I think he's made a jump into the engine world, and he really makes that uh, world look very well. He really 
it is a very engaging way of uh, of writing, and, and he, yeah, it's it's a fantastic book. Very it and it shows something that I also feel personally very strongly about that that uh, uh, in the past people used to say that well, don't use a computer when you try to get better at chess. Don't use an engine. Don't look at the engine. Uh, but he actually tries to uh, show the reader how you can improve from uh, working with and with an engine. Uh, because nowadays, in the old days, uh, engines were good at pointing out tactics, but they would not really be good at just, you know, making good moves. Uh, but these days, of course, engine can do, engines can do anything. So it's, it's very much worth uh, working with engines to improve your, your game. And he, he had many interesting ideas and suggestions for, for people to improve their game in that way. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a very interesting read. Yeah, uh, Erwin, of course, is referring to Matthew Sadler's The Silicon Road to Chess Improvement. Um, um, yeah, I've been reading that as well. I'm hoping to to interview him soon. And yeah, it's striking. He just exudes joy for like a lot yes. of people. A lot of yeah. people, when when once engines get involved, I think especially at the club level, like you can use them to check the check the best move, but they don't tend to like enliven your interest in chess. But for him, it's the total opposite. He doesn't mind just getting crushed by the engine like thirty <laughs> yeah. games in a row. No, like, what, I, what I really enjoyed also, I, I'm not sure if it was him or if it was someone else, but I, I saw him uh, uh, online tweeting about this. He um, various game positions. From the match to come back yeah. to the match also, uh, he actually uh, fed them to the, to his engines and let them play these positions out. So, uh, uh, like Bishop takes before, for example, this fa- this famous moment where uh, uh, Nepo missed missed a chance. Yeah, and gave uh, he, yeah. he he gave this position to the engines, let them play it out, and it was very interesting to to see his conclusions. And and uh, yeah, it's really uh, it's an account also on on Twitter to follow because he he posts uh, new engine stuff every single day. Beautiful games, uh, fragments, uh, uh, analysis. It's uh, very, very interesting to read and to, yeah. to follow. Yeah, and he's got an underfollowed YouTube channel related to the book as well. And of course, re- yeah. And of course, his recaps with Kasparov were were awesome. So yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's all stuff. everything Kasparov. Uh, everything with Kasparov is great, of course. When it comes to uh, chess, I'm just uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, as a child, coming back to Vikings A again, I I was present in this game between Kasparov and and Topolov. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, uh, from a childhood, and okay, I guess for most people, in fact, but from childhood, I've I've always, I mean, he's this larger than life uh, uh, person. So every every time he speaks about chess, I'm just completely, uh, I'm just listening. <laughs> just whatever it is, it's uh, I'm I'm loving it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in the combination with Sutton is great because he he also really knows how to uh, how to get the best out of out of Gary. And and have yeah, I agree. Um, and have you? You you you've told the story of uh of the epic uh Kasparov Topalov game in in Vikings A, but ha- but I don't believe we discussed. Have you met Kasparov in person, Erwin? Uh y- yeah, but not like I mean we don't really know each other. No, I mean okay. I, uh, I I I've seen him uh, uh for example in the St Louis uh, um, in the St Louis events where he played and Anish was also there. Uh, but we no, I don't really know him in that okay. uh, uh, sense. No, no. Me, me either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unfortunate. Yeah, and he of course retired in two thousand. I mean, I've played against Carlson, against Arnand, against Kramnik uh, uh, in Vikings A. I had those most of those most of those opportunities were in in uh, in Vikings A. Uh, but yeah, Kramnik, of course, uh, Kasparov, I should say, um, retired of course earlier, so I never got the chance to uh, to play him. That that would have been, of course, epic. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, well, Erwin, we got to take one more break, and then we've got uh, some some great uh, Patreon mailbag opening related questions for you. So I think I think you you can handle them. <laughs> <laughs> Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by ChessMood.com. ChessMood was founded in 2018 by Grandmaster Avtik Gregorian. It's a chess education platform that gives you a structured path to work to improve your chess. For $29 a month, you get instant access to over 200 hours of Grandmaster prepared video content and includes openings, middle games, and end games. They also have an active online community where you can find training partners and fellow chess enthusiasts. Uh, Don't forget to check out their free content. They have a great blog where their grandmasters share uh, their own thoughts on chess improvement. I get it delivered to my inbox. So to learn more about uh, Chess Mood and what they offer, be sure to check out their website, chessmood.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back, Erwin. And number one is the uh, the hard-hitting question from uh, from frequent uh, question submitter who's been sending in some great ones, Alex Friedman, which is, uh, is E4 still best by test? Wow. Bobby Fischer fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah how to say, yeah. is it still best by test? Um, I think nowadays, uh, um, at the top level, we speak about top level, I assume. I assume, I th- yeah. I think that um, nowadays... Um, a player just look at looks at the other uh, at the opponent that he's playing on the next day, and just decides uh, which course to take. Uh, where he has an idea, he or she has an has an idea, an opening idea, and to say that e4 is better than d4 at this point, it's I mean after e4 right now, objectively speaking, uh, Marshall, uh, uh, Berlin, Petrov, it's all completely fine for <laughs> for, yeah. for black. But against d4, of course, there are similar uh, uh, issues. Um, which openings against D4 do the engines like the best? Nowadays, there is this endgame. Eh? This, uh, 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 let me just say the moves because I uh, seem to have forgotten them. D4, knight f6, c4, e6, knight f3, d5, knight c3, c5. Okay. And now c takes d5, c takes d5. This, okay. is, this, this endgame has been played now yeah, many times on top level. For instance, Ariantari drew against Carlsen uh, last year in Wack and Zee, with black, actually, uh, just, just like that. Um, that's one issue. Uh, of course, also very solid. Oh, the way, uh, for instance, um, um, Nippur now played the Catalan. Uh, yeah. Um, for, for, from a white perspective, that is actually one of the few areas where you can still try to probe because after knight c3, we get into that endgame instead of g3, if you if you understand what, what I mean. So, um, while in e4, e4 generally is of a more forcing nature, so there, I mean, for example, the Petrov is just one big forcing variation, basically, in whichever yeah. direction you take. Because in the Petrov, because of the symmetry, if you don't immediately strike, there's just not gonna nothing much is gonna happen. Black will just uh, develop, and it will just be rather dry. The structure is such that not nothing you cannot expect much. So you have to play in a very forceful manner. Just by that's the only way to to battle the the uh, uh, Petrov. Um, 
Yeah, with Marshall with Berlin, it's it's also it's it's hard to say. Uh, I would say that by now, no move has really no first move is really doing it. At, at yeah, all. yeah, Black's doing well. Black is um, doing fine. Yeah, yeah, actually much better than, for instance, in in uh, in in the nineties, for example. If you speak about, like, say, if you go thirty years back in time, uh, Berlin didn't exist yet in uh, in, in the nineties. Uh, Petro was under pressure in those days, and and black, back in those days, E4 was a really, uh, I mean, people were struggling to equalize, and now it's more a matter of choice. Like, do do I equalize with the Berlin or with the Marshall? And then, of course, it becomes a matter of uh, finding the right try for uh, for the player playing with the white pieces. So, if you have some idea and you can surprise your opponent, it's all about surprise. If you can surprise your opponent, then you can have some success. But objectively speaking, it's all uh, completely fine for uh, for Black in any opening, uh, any half series opening. Uh, Black is more or less fine. Yeah, surprise definitely seemed to be the angle that Team Magnus settled on. Uh, exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, of course, Napo he just took the the stand of I'm just playing correctly, and I'm just gonna uh, I just trust this opening, and I'm and I'm gonna be fine. And, I, and if I get surprised, I trust that the position is sold enough that I can just find my 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 way. Yeah, yeah, and it kind of played out the way, hearing you talk about it, it played out the way one might expect in that, like, you know, just speaking from what the engine would say, often Nepo would have this, like, 0.2 type advantage, but Magnus knew the structure and and knew how to neutralize it. So, yeah, you can see why uh, why Magnus might go for worse moves that have an elevated chance of catching their opponent off guard, even if it didn't work. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I think Magnus, he knew exactly what he was doing in those marshals. He was uh, taking these slightly worse positions, but he knew how to handle them. And, and most of the time he would neutralize them quite quite smoothly. Yeah. It's so hard to beat him there. It's uh, yeah. yeah. And um, we have a related question from a friend and supporter of the pod, Evan Rosenberg. He actually has two questions, but I'm going to start with this one, which is... Um, um, one one of them we just answered, but are you aware of any popular opening line that has actually been refuted by Leela or Stockfish? In other words, how can how soon can we expect an answer on whether or not the London system is any good? <laughs> I well, I mean, first of all, um, I mean, I think it's by now very safe to say that the, the game of chess is drawn objectively. Yeah, and I, I well, I think that's certainty given that uh, the drawing margin is quite big. You cannot mate with uh, bishop and king versus king, for example. Uh, I mean, peace up, but but you cannot ma- give give mate. Uh, and we also see that certain openings are just very correct, rather equalish. So so we cannot expect that uh, uh, much. And now I forgot the question, which was uh, any openings that were refuted by. Uh, I actually stuff. think uh, um, the opposite. I think that um, uh, anything is possible as long as you analyze it deep en- en- enough. And that's that element, that element of of surprise. Uh, so, uh, for instance, in that in that uh, a four anti marshal that they played three three times, the main move uh, historically is b four there, uh, b four or bishop b seven, but b four is let's say the main uh, move. But it's clear that Magnus just decided to go uh, for rook b eight. He analyzed that very deeply, and uh, the engine shows it's also playable. And he was deep enough, and he just he just played it. So I think that even uh, as long as it's of course uh, within boundaries, uh, I think even much more is possible than uh, than before. I saw one match in the TCEC um, or the TSEC. I never know how to pronounce these this engine uh, uh, these engine matches. Uh, uh, two games in the King's Gambit, which were both drawn. I think so. I mean, oh, anything wow. is 
uh, yeah, everything is possible uh, uh, again as long as it's well prepared, you know, uh, deeply analyzed, which uh, both teams in the World Championship, uh, of course, did. Okay, so Kings Gambit fans can take heart that it, it might not be losing. White White can maybe hold. <laughs> yeah, I, at the same time, I don't think it's uh, it's. I, I mean, Carvana said it very. Uh, uh, Correctly, I think he said some. I mean, at some point during the commentary, they were discussing the possibility of Napo playing F4 on the second move. And then Caravan said something like, well, it's just an extremely bad opening. <laughs> so it's not going to happen. It's rough, but uh, I'm afraid it's true. I think yeah. we all have a soft spot for this uh, opening, but uh, I don't think it's gonna. we're going to see much of it on the top level soon. Yeah, it was funny to me that people would even suggest Napo would yes. play it <laughs> in the World Championship. Um, <laughs> And Evan Rosenberg's other question was, he says, is there any utility to the role of a second for non-grandmasters? I'm a lowly NM getting ready to compete in my first round-robin IM Norm Invitational. Would having a second be of any greater benefit than simply working with a coach, or is that excessive? I would just, uh, uh, very important, I think, the strength of the player. I didn't hear uh, in the uh, question. He's about, he's about 2,200 feet, eh? Evan is. Oh, right, right. And he's going to play an IM event. Yeah, it's... It's very hard. I mean, uh, uh, the role of a second and, and a coach it is a bit of a gray area between the uh, the two. I mean, uh, during, uh, uh, for example, my work with Toplov during the match, I was a second. I mean, I was working on openings uh, 24 hours. No, not 24 hours a day, but uh, the engines were running 24 hours a day. Right. Uh, while as a coach, um, you also meet... Uh, in between events, you try to improve someone's play. You work on uh, on areas that the player is not so good at. And I think up to a reasonably high level, that is still uh, probably worth more than somebody just feeding you opening lines. Uh, and I think uh, at, at 2200, that I think having a good coach is still more beneficial than uh, having like a, a true second uh, who just you know, uh, throws opening lines uh, <laughs> at, at you. Uh, but, of course, ideally, you find yourself a coach that can uh, guide you a little bit through the openings and it can also tell you uh, a little bit more about the game. So that, that's, that's, the, that's the perfect uh, combination of, of, of things. So if, if he can find that person, I think he'll be set for, for his IM uh, event. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good. Good advice there. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Evans probably Evans a little stronger than me. We've actually played a couple training games. Um, but for me, yeah, the uh, the mistakes the mistakes are coming. You know, <laughs> so second or no second, one of us is going to screw up. So no, I think. Well, I think that that um, let's say uh, let's say a, a beginner obviously benefits much more from uh, from somebody who gives him pointers like uh, what should what should you be looking for in the game and what is the game of chess actually about and then you get a bit more serious and then you get annoyed because this girl shouldn't this guy on the club he plays his same opening line all the time and he all the time succeeds and then right. you want to learn a little bit about that but I, I think it should all be balanced in a in a I, I think most people find their own healthy balance in this and and well maybe your friend likes to uh, you know, Go all out on openings, and and if that makes him happy, and why not? Uh, so many people have improved uh, uh, that way. I remember uh, uh, Thibaut Caroli, I think, which is one of uh, one of Leco's uh, first trainers. He said that they just mostly worked on openings from an early age, uh, and well, Leco, I mean, he he did he pretty, fine. pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I don't think there's one 
set way of improving in our game. It's just that for me personally, I think that, uh, let's say, up to close to IM level, it can still make a lot more sense to just have a, a coach there that can guide you through the you know games that can work on your improving your overall game. Uh, and and the deep opening, uh, I think that that's um, that plays a bigger role late, later on. Yeah, makes sense. All right, Erwin, and we have one more listener question for you. This one is from Igor Feinstein, and Igor asks, he says, um, "Do considering that you're an opening expert, what is your recommendation for how category le- level players should approach studying openings? Do you have any specific books or resources?" And then he also asks, "Do you recommend developing a narrow opening repertoire and study it deeply?" Or learning a wide range of openings and understand the concepts and instructions and structures inherent in them. Although <laughs> I feel like if you're going to learn a wide one, it's going to be hard to understand all the structures. But <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let yeah, you take I, know, it. I, I, I would almost, uh, or maybe I just will. I, I would almost repeat what I, I said before that I think this is this. Uh, there's not one set approach yeah. for this, and and some people uh, take great uh, even pride uh, uh, in their opening work uh, they, they, they work on they have an opening that they love and they play it all the time and they keep improving on it and, and that's the way they improve and that, I think that's fine and other people they despise opening work and, and they would much rather prefer to have some kind of narrow repertoire uh, the London system you mentioned before uh, perfect opening to just you know uh, play you put, a, you put a bishop on a four uh, you put a pawn on e3 Get the bishop, uh, the f1 bishop, into the game, and you just you just start playing. Uh, and for many people, that works perfectly, and others would would find that horrible. So I I think it's very hard to uh, um, to say what kind of repertoire somebody should be choosing or playing uh, when you are starting out. Uh, um, one of my first trainers, Corvin Weigerde, always said that that the open games fits a beginner better because you. It tends to be more of a clash early on, and, and then more tactics and more. It, it, it fits better in the uh, uh, way you, you're learning the game. Uh, he certainly knows more about the topic than me, so I, I, yeah, I, I think I would. Uh, that's an advice that is uh, perhaps a good one to uh, to follow. And how to learn well? Chessable, of course, is an option. The, the move trainer. Uh, other people uh, might uh, prefer to set up the pieces uh, on their on their own. Uh, so also there, I'm afraid, it's a bit boring. Maybe maybe you you prefer, you prefer some rough statements of mine. But even here, I think that there are various ways to uh, to go about. I like the move trainer, and I I think Jessable is doing a good job um, at showing the uh, material that uh, the opening material. I, I I use it myself, um, although not for openings, but for endgame uh, trainings. Yeah. Uh, I worked a lot uh, with the Vreskis Endgame Manual and and this 100 Endgames You Must Know, which I think are two great courses on uh, on, on on Chessable. Uh, and and I often, you know, uh, just uh, when I'm uh, in, in in a train or wherever, I just take my phone and I, I browse a bit and I try to solve some endgame positions. But uh, like I said, other people. Uh, don't like to see it on a the screen. They prefer to feel the pieces, you know, uh, set up the board. And it's also fine. Invite a friend over and play through some uh, some opening lines uh, yourself. There are so many ways to enjoy uh, uh, that work. That I, I, I would I would feel bad to... Uh, well, actually, myself, I study it even in various ways. 
uh, I mean, I, I work with the computer, but then sometimes I set it up on uh, on the board and I look a bit at it and try to move the pieces a bit. And I see that I again get some new ideas and new questions pop up. So so there's no set way, I think, of, uh, of doing things. And I think everybody should just find uh, the way which works for, for them. Uh, I know from Anish that he... Uh, he rarely, I think, sets up uh, the board for these kind of things. He just uh, he's so used to just the screen and just base, and uh, and that's of course normal because we all use engines constantly. But I I I noticed in my myself that I still like sometimes to just uh, you know sit behind the board and just see a little bit what's happening. And uh, uh, so so each each is on there, each is on. Okay, yeah, and you gave some excellent advice in our first interview too, along the same lines of. Um... Uh, pursuing what you enjoy when you're a chess hobbyist. Um, I think it's uh, evergreen advice. I think it's not important not to lose lose sight of that. Um, and just a, a couple more follow-ups or when the, the hearing you talk uh, chess, which I always enjoy, makes me, uh, jogs my memory about things to ask you about. So number one, of course, you mentioned working with a legendary co-creator of the Step series, Cora von Weigarten. I apologize, Cora, if I mispronounced <laughs> your last name. Um and, you know, I've been working through, I've, obviously, I've taught that series uh, in the past and just been working through it on my own. And I'm really struck by the creativity of all the puzzles in them and the depth. So I'm curious, from having worked with him as a child, did, did you notice any secret sauce? How was he able to just come up with all these original positions? Um, and again, Rob Brunia, I'm sure, like, co-create, co- I should say. Yeah, I know. But I mean, he's just, it, it's very simple. I think he's just a very hard worker. And from uh, his early training years, he just collects. I mean, he has this giant database with uh, an enormous amount of, of positions that he just collected over the years, day in, day out. Uh, and I'm sure, uh, I'm sure that he still has thousands of positions waiting uh, to be uh, to be included in future uh, books. It was always very uh, impressive. Yeah, he had an enormous amount of uh, training material. It's it's famous that um, people like Luke van Weyli, Erik van der Doel, Dutch grandmasters. Uh, they would play a tournament back in the day, and they would uh, phone up Core and they would ask, like, "Well, do you have some positions for me? Because I need to, you know, I need to get in shape a, li- a little bit." <laughs> and then he would send over some uh, some pages with exercises, and uh, and that's how they would, uh, yeah, they would sharpen their uh, their 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 tactics before. Uh... So yeah, he is like the Dutch coach. Uh, 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 yeah, famous step methods, uh, uh, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, and for any listeners, long-time listeners will have heard me discuss them, the steps method many times, but for, for others, um, you can listen to my interview with uh, Han Schut um, and, uh, um, and Yap Delamar, uh, among others, to uh, hear us discuss it. And the last question, Erwin, was about, with computers, I've been hearing more and more about sort of uh, the move to the cloud. And of course, there was the question at the press conference um, about, uh, apparently, one of the Marshall, I think it was the first time that Magnus played Rook B8. Um, someone asked him, they said that someone had been looking at it on the engine, on Chessbase, <laughs> on the online engine two days before, and like had forgot there's an option to um, to uh, not leave tracks, and someone had forgotten to select that option. Yeah, it's the first thing I do usually when I <laughs> get a new uh, new computer, I install Chessbase, and then I uh, de- uh, deactivate the option of, uh, okay. of yeah. restoring everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a pro move there. But I was curious to to what extent these these top teams and your such as yourself and Anish, to to what extent is your work now done on cloud based engines as as compared to like you know 
running massive machines in, yeah, in your this, houses. This, I think the days where you have um, these massive machines at home, that's sort of finished. Uh, I think Anish um, is very open also about it. He, he uh, is ambassador of Chessify. Chessify yeah. And uh, they provide him with enormously strong uh, uh, hardware. Uh, and I myself also use Chessify. It's, yeah, okay. Uh, it's, of course, costly, but but for professionals or for very uh, uh, ambitious uh, amateur players, it's uh, it's absolutely fantastic because it's uh, not something I've seen before in the chess world uh, to that to that e- extent. Uh, um, so uh, it's really for me as, as I mean there could be something out there that I'm not aware of, but uh, from what is publicly available, let's say to to rent, I I think just uh, uh, is uh, is the strongest uh, out out there, and like I said, you you pay, of course, it's a serious uh, investment, but then you have yeah the best uh, the best hardware out there, and and yeah, Anish is using that. I think Aronian also uh, is one of the embed is also been using uh, that uh, a lot, and uh, well, mostly uh, basically the point is I think that that everybody's looking for these cloud solutions uh, now. Um, and yeah, Chessify is, is one of the front runners right now. But okay. I'm sure that uh, I mean there were already rumors of supercomputers in Team Napo. Uh, right. I, I should say that in 2010 there was also such a rumor. Oh yeah. Uh, well, actually, yeah. it was not a rumor. Uh, 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 we could make use of this famous uh, supercomputer, but it just that we well they didn't manage to make it work. Yeah. Uh, some scale, scaling issues. Um, Basically, the the engines at that time, I think it was Ripka Four that we had. Uh, they were not able to run those engines on on these super uh, computers. So basically, we we had access to a giant uh, computer, but we couldn't do anything with it. That was the painful uh, uh, part. But of course, nowadays uh, it's probably different. Uh, I I guess that um, it's very likely that Nepo's team had access to something great and that uh, um, they could run engines there properly. Uh, it's just that nowadays, um, I at, at some point it's I, I think it's hard to really make a difference. Still, um, I've seen this uh, uh, now with Chessify, their strongest engine that runs on on one billion nodes a second. Uh, and yeah, once you have that, I mean, yeah, you can have two billion, three billion. I don't know what it, it difference it still makes. It's yeah. all so incredibly fast and. Uh, and if someone like uh, that, that's also important. Uh, Magnus playing the marshal, which is such a correct opening. Yeah, what difference can you really make uh, with uh, the, the hardware that you have? And that's, I think, one of the points even also behind Magnus's uh, choice that it's just very much engine proof what he was doing. Uh, what he said is basically, I can get. Uh, out of the opening with a slight, uh, slightly worse position, but I'll be sort of fine. Uh, I'll just handle it. Uh, like I said, zero twenty. Yeah, what's zero twenty? If if he makes one two good moves, it might just uh, already peter out to a draw. So 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 this is I think one of the things that um, that 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 they also chose for as a as a, as a team. Yeah, Peter Hein Nielsen. Even before the match, in in an interview, someone asked him about uh, Nepo's alleged supercomputer from a Russian university, and 
he he said they may have the strongest computer, but we have the strongest human. Um, <laughs> so. That's uh, shots fired, yeah. Before the yeah, match. Exactly. yeah they fired yeah. a few shots, and they managed to uh, to back it up. But the painful um, thing is, of course, when such a thing is said, it, yeah, it's actually true. Yeah, that's, right. Yeah, that exactly. makes it. I mean, you can say it's cocky or whatever, but it's it's true. That that makes it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Magnus has been a little vocal on Twitter. I mean, I'm, I, of course, always would love to interview him, but now in particular, because it really seems like, I mean, he had said some very, um, very sort of optimistically tinged things prior to the match, but it seems like he was uh, unusually confident before this match. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I saw some tweets. Uh, yeah. By, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it makes, I mean, he was a big favorite, uh, if yeah. you say now, uh, but he, he really was. Yeah, but like I said, I, I think uh, given the first six games, I mean, uh, as we conclude a bit the match talk, I mean, after these first six games, I was it, it's a pity how it uh, how it all uh, un- unfolded. After yeah, that. it would have really been a great match, and now I don't think in ten years' time we'll we'll be talking much about it. Still, it's it's a bit of a yeah. If if I compare it with uh, with the Kayakin match or the Caruana match, uh, yeah, not 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 the same. Yeah, and with time, it might be easy to forget just how just how tense the first six games were. Yeah, exactly. Especially. I think people already forgot. I mean, people yeah. look at it like uh, uh, Magnus crushed uh, uh, Napo, but if you would just show someone the first six games, and you you would just say that oh, this is a, anybody could win this 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 match. Yeah. All right. Well, Erwin, this has been amazing as as expected. Um, do you <laughs> do you have anything you'd like to uh, to address before we wrap this up? Well, I'm just looking forward to the next match. Yeah, is yeah. it is it next year already, or are they gonna? I mean, are they gonna try to get the restore the uh, one year they lost, or is it in two years? I don't even know. To be honest, I have heard that they're moving. They're just gonna move to an odd year cycle, so okay, 2023. Okay. But yeah, that I don't makes think, sense because of yeah. I think the, the the Grand Prix finishes in April. The Grand Prix. Series. I think you think later, maybe, but yeah, April, I May, mean, something something like that. Yeah. yeah. So so uh, that that makes sense. Yeah. That makes yeah. Sense. Okay, yeah. Makes, for, yeah. No, it's yeah, long way uh, to go still. Yeah, uh, but and, we're looking forward. I think. To the next yeah, one. yeah. I mean, <laughs> a lot of a uh, lot of interesting potential. Of course, matchups. I'm hoping that next time uh, I will be observing it from a little bit closer uh, with 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 Anish. Ah, uh, yeah. Would, of course, be fantastic uh, to experience uh, to experience that. Yeah, so he's got to get in through the Grand Prix with such yes. a gauntlet. Twenty-four players for two spots. It's yeah, it's going to be tough. I do like the new uh, the new setup of the event. So with the the. Um, uh, round robins first, and then the final uh, round robin. I, I think that's a nice new uh, way of making it also a little bit more exciting because those events they were usually uh, there were a lot of draws. Uh, it, they were not very popular. The Grand Prix, it was uh, this Grand Prix series that was always a little bit of uh, the black sheep of the whole uh, cycle. I, I, I think, uh, and now I think it could it could get interesting. So I, I'm curious about this. And okay, Anish, he did of course well in the last cycle. He was close, uh, so yeah, I'm curious if he can, uh, yeah, if he can can do it again, maybe a little bit, a uh, little bit better even this time. Yeah, and I don't know if you can speak for him in this case, but I was given what we're saying about how hard it is to qualify. I personally was was quite surprised he didn't play in the FIDE Grand Swiss. Um, I don't know if there's anything you could say about that decision of Anish's. Yeah, I'm not even hundred percent sure what it was. I think. Um... Ooh, no, you caught me a little bit off guard there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know, like, I, uh, there was not a decision that we discussed uh, together. I think it was something, something related with uh, um, uh, other commitments. But 
Yeah, no, sorry, no. I would, uh, you would have to ask him. I'm not 100% sure on what, what the reasoning uh, was uh, ex exactly. Um, no, but of course, that was also a chance to qualify. So in general, he would, of course, uh, try to, to, to be there, I, th I, I think. Um, on the other hand, now it's clear that it has to happen via the Grand Prix. So it's, yeah. it's clear. Uh, we have a clear target now. Excellent. All right, and good good luck to Anish as well as um yeah should should be fun. I would love to see him in the in the candidates. Uh. Yes, no, that would be that would be great. Uh, of course, uh, that, yeah, that would be just uh, that's something that we of course will be striving for now. That's the main uh, the main goal right now. Yeah, makes sense. Um, okay, well, Erwin, thanks so much. Um, so. So with Chastable, you've got your two courses with I am Christoph Zalecki. Is that what's what's next in the pipeline? Yes, those two uh, courses. So one uh, on the Slav uh, that I will do uh, by myself, one on the Triangle Slav. So that's with uh, starting with the moves D5, E6, and C6. Okay. Uh, uh, so we'll discuss the Notabone variation, very sharp, um, uh, Marshall Gambit. So it's very very interesting uh, a course uh, that will that will uh, will be. Um, and the other one on the on the Slav, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm planning to do something new also, a little bit on the topic of what we spoke about earlier. That that uh, how to study openings uh, in the Slav, for instance. I, I'm recommending one variation. I'm not not going to details where I'll uh, where Black sacrifices a piece on e4 and gets three pawns for the for the piece. And there are many typical end games there. And I'm going to be trying not to just uh, give the moves, but also to. Uh, to show how to play typical endgames in this variation. I'm, I'm trying to push it a little bit uh, to a broader uh, um, broader course so that people understand also more about the line, apart from just uh, the moves, let, let's say. So I, I'm hoping that will work out. It's something I haven't done before to, to this extent. Uh, so it's going to be a bit bigger, this course, than, than normal, and it's going to feature more yeah, purely chess-related stuff next to the pure moves. Uh, so... Uh, we discuss typical positions that come out of the opening and how to deal with them, and, and uh, as such, I'm trying to uh, to give more understanding to the uh, to the student uh, on how to play the the uh, the, the opening. So that's, sounds, that's that's the idea. Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, we need all the understanding we can get. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I guess in in two years we'll be back to uh, to discuss uh, the match that has happened then. Sounds good to me, Erwin. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. It's great and, to be uh, back here. Perpetual Chess is proud to be a member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to check out their sports and pop culture related podcasts as well. I also, as always, would like to thank Matthew Passy for producing the show. Without Matthew, Perpetual Chess would not exist. And I want to thank everyone who listens to the show, whether it be on your own without telling anyone about it, keeping it secret, or if you're helping to spread the word, all the better, whether it be telling a friend about a particularly impactful interview or whether it be writing a positive review online, all of that stuff helps get the word out and helps Perpetual Chess continue to grow. But most of all, of course, I want to thank those that provide financial support to Perpetual Chess. Without you all, Perpetual Chess would not be possible in its current form. And I would like to give a special thanks to the following people and entities. Here comes the list. Uh, Chessable.com. 
David Lazarus of Lazman Chess, coach of Dave's Young Tigers on Lee Chess, Quality Chess Books, The Capital City Chess Club, The Abysmal Depths of Chess Blog, Adaptive Interactive Web Designs and Services, The Apprentice Twitch Channel, Anidi Deer, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porteau, Bill Sigler, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, The Charlotte Chess Center, The Chess Central's Chess Blog, ChessMood.com, Chris Flanagan, Chris Lott, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel He, Danny Davidson, David Mitchell. I am Dimitri Schneider, Douglas Wilson. I am Eric Rosen, Farhan Tharwar, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Glenn Downing, Greg Harfst, Greg Shahadi, Gregory Golick, Hampus Axelson, James Kennedy, Jay Garrison, Jeff Martinson, Jeff Schaefer, Jeremy Nielsen, John Jernigan, John MacArthur, Kevin Forsyth, Kevin Gilmore, Kevin O'Callaghan, Kevin Pryor, King Cell, the King's Crusher YouTube channel, the Law Offices of Stuart Katz, Matthew Feeney, Michael Can, FM Michael Oplin, Mr. Mike Shahadi, Michael Sullivan, the famous Mr. Dodgy, the Nerd Nace Twitch channel, Perry McManus, GM Peter Prohaska, Peter Sodi, Philip Flemons, the Playmore Chess Academy of the Hamden Chess Club, Ray Lillywhite, Reuven Fisher, Rick Rivas, Robert Hansen, Ross Crossland, the Seattle Chess Club, Shane Unger, Stephen Kelty, Stephen Martinez, Sven Gearson, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of StrongChess.com, Todd Kennedy, the Vintage Patsers, which is a Chess.com improver group, Wayne Beam, and I also would like to thank the following, Hashtag Chess Punks, who are the adult improvers on Chess Twitter, Ace Vallega, Adam Fowler, Adam Johansson, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Al Hastings, Alan and Maggie Sue, Alex Pejas, Alexander Markovitz, Antonio Cancino, Antonio Leonfort, FM Andre Tarakov, Dr. Andrew Perry, Angus McLeod, Barry Hessian, Bill Gruber, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Bill Trammell, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brandon Halseed, Brian Chase, Brian Mullis, Bruce Scott, Bruno Johnson, Brian Tillis of Palm Beach Chess, Cameron Davis, Ken Kabadi, Chad Hilton, Chad Likens, of Rose City Chess in Portland, the Chess Dojo, Chess for Charity, Jacksonville, Chess Patser, Spain, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Kiefer, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, aka Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Costa Carras, Courtney Fry, Craig Mallon, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Naylor, Dave Best, Dave Saylor, David Blaskacek, David Brown, David Gores, David Hamblin, David Cramley, David Peterson, Dennis Parrish, FM Donnie Ariel, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ed Mead, Edwin Rodriguez, Eric Baldwin, Ethan Smith, Evan Rosenberg, Ewan Richardson, Ian Mason, Felipe Mayo Perea, Fox Valley Chess Club, Francis Letard Lavoie, Frank Tortoris, MD, Frank Zananes, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Gautam Narula, Gene Stewart, George Foote, George Harris, Giovanni Russo, Gregory Higgins, Han Shu, Harish Srinivasan, Howard Vihan, Jacob Kovach, Jason Apollo, Jason Murray, Jacques Pari, James Aspinwall, James Banastia, James Muir, Jason Woolham, Jay Tuttle, J. Deep Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeff Davis, Jeffrey Martello, Yep Horland, Jerry Wells, Jesse DeCumos, Jesse McNulty, Jim Jones, Jim Ratliff, Jim Sadler, Joe DeSano, Joe Valdez, Joel Thomas Ramos, John McAdams, John Tully, Juan Almagua, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jonathan Bannister, Jonathan Slater, John Quist, John Tully, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, 
Justin Goodfellow, Jen Shahadi, Joel Rocky, John Thompson, Grandmaster Josh Fridell, I am Kari Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Cook, Larry Reiferth, Lars Reeson, Macaulay Peterson, Maria Emilyanova, aka Photo Chess, Mark Chaves, Mark Fitzpatrick, Mark Miller, Mark Wilkins, Marco Butolovich, Martin Knudsen, Martin Krug, Matt Ferrari, Matthew Coughlin, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, Matthias Plock, Mechanics Institute Chess Club of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Michael Hudson, Mike Clem, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Gobel, Nate Solon, Neil Bruce, Nigma Malajanov, Nicholas Isabel, Olaf Mueller Michaels, Pablo Davila, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passan, and Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Eckert, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Queenside Management Limited in Switzerland, um, Randall Montgomery, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Richard Hallenbach, Richard McCormick, Richard Tucker, Robert Callahan, Robert Turner, Robert Wall, Robert Wilson, Rory Coleman, Ryan Berg, Samson Teaches Chess, Satyajit Malagu, The Say Chess YouTube Channel and Publishing Empire, Scott McKinnon, Scott Rose, Sean Krauss, Sebastian Finsterwater, Sergey Makagon, Seth Ruzica, Seth Will, Sean Tracy, Silver Knights in Richmond, Simon Schmidt, Stefan Roller, Stephen Miller and Tom George, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Terry King, Thomas Brown, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, FM Timothy Wall, Tobiah Rex, Tom Edsel, Tommy Farron, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Victor Beauchamp, William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Cheng of Chess1000.com, Zachary Hoskin, and Zhivkor Stoyanov. Thanks for listening, everyone. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.